Let's turn to 1 Samuel in chapter number 31, if you would. 1 Samuel in chapter number 31. This is uh, sermon number 50 in the series, uh, When a Nation Needs Revival, that we're looking at in the last chapter. So we'll conclude 1 Samuel, and I believe what we'll do is just go into 2 Samuel. It seems like a very logical thing to do. Uh, and uh, just keep, keep rolling there, excited about that. Really, this series started back in Genesis in 2010. And so now we're in 1 Samuel, just kind of preaching through the Bible. And so uh, really enjoying the journey. Back in uh, chapter 8, if you recall, and we may or may not look at the verses later on, but um, Israel came to a time when Samuel was old, and they came to Samuel and said, your sons are ungodly. And that was a problem, and Samuel didn't deny that. But the problem was that they said, we want a king like all the other nations. Well, they wanted a king so that they could be like all the other nations. And really, when you read what they, I just, I had it marked in my Bible, and I'm not asking you to turn there, but they said that we may also be like all the nations. And then they had said previous to that, we want a king like the nations. So they, they wanted a king, they said, that would... Um, Our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And so they figured that if they got a king, like all the other nations had a king, they'd see real progress in their nation. Well, chapter 31, it didn't turn out that way. Let's look at it now in 1 Samuel 31. We're going to read here about uh, Saul, King Saul, the first king of Israel, who really did come to a very tragic Conclusion. So let's read it, and then I'll give you the title uh, for the message here tonight. Now, the Philistines fought against Israel, and the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines and fell down slain in Mount Gilboa. And the Philistines followed hard upon Saul and upon his sons, and the Philistines slew Jonathan. Sad, really, isn't it? He really paid a price for his dad's um, sin. Uh, Really is what's happening there. And our sin affects more than just us, doesn't it? And so Jonathan dies and then another son, uh, Abinadab dies and Mel uh, Chishua, sorry. Uh, Another Saul's sons die. Three of his four sons die. Ishbosheth will die uh, not too long. From this point in time. The Bible says also in verse 3 that the battle went sore um, against Saul and the archers hit him and he was sore wounded of the archers. Then said Saul unto his armor bearer, draw thy sword and thrust me through therewith, lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and abuse me. But his armor bearer would not, for he was sore afraid. Therefore Saul took a sword and fell upon it. And when his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he fell likewise upon his sword and died with him. So Saul died and his three sons and his armor bearer and all his men that same day together. Well, the effects of this were more far-reaching even than just what happened at the battlefield of Mount Gilboa. 
Verse 7 says that when the men of Israel that were on the other side of the valley, that'd be the valley of Jezreel, uh, when they and they that were on the other side, Jordan, saw that the men of Israel fled and that Saul and his sons were dead, they forsook their, the cities and fled and the Philistines came and dwelt in them. So, I mean, this was a major loss for Israel. Losing that strategic location of the, of the Valley of Jezreel and, and the Megiddo, that area there. I mean, it was very crucial to hold on to that. And so now the nation is, is, gonna, is divided geographically. <clears throat> so then it goes on. It says, uh, this is sad as well. Verse number eight. And it came to pass on the morrow when the Philistines came to strip the slain, that they found Saul and his three sons fallen in Mount Gilboa. And they cut off his head and stripped off his armor and sent into the land of the Philistines round about to publish it in the house of their idols and among the people. And they put his armor in the house of Ashtoreth, be their God there, the female God. And they fastened his body to the wall of Bethshan. And when the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead heard of that, which the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men arose and went all night and took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the wall of Bethshan and came to Jabesh and burnt them there. And they took their bones and buried them under a tree at Jabesh and fasted seven days. My, what a tragic, would you agree? A tragic ending to the life of Saul and, and in the life and history of Israel. So I'm calling the, the message tonight this, uh, the concluding chapter of a life out of God's will. The concluding chapter of a life out of God's will. With this subtitle, you can't call it progress with such a tragic ending. You can't call it progress with such a tragic ending. I think this is the type of text that we ought to take heed to. Well, all of them are, but I think you get what I'm saying. The gravity of this ought to strike us that we don't want to live our lives out of God's will. And so let's look at that here tonight. I'm trusting that God will bless his word as you're seated. Let's get right to it as we continue and study here the book of 1 Samuel. <clears throat> really what we've had here is we've considered uh, the book of 1 Samuel and this, the latter part of it in particular has been a movement of the text back and forth um, beginning in about chapter 26 for sure. And it's just been bouncing back and forth between on one hand Saul and on the other hand David. And I, I think it's doing that intentionally to compare the two. And it's demonstrating as to why Saul uh, was disqualified as the king of Israel. But on the other hand, it's actually demonstrating as to why that David is qualified to be the king of Israel. As you study the two lives that, of David and Saul, you'd, you'd notice many similarities. They would have these similarities. They both are warriors that had success. Uh, Saul has slain his thousands. So, I mean, there's military success on Saul's part. David has killed his ten thousands. Now, Saul didn't like that song, but 
Nonetheless, uh, it shows that David was a warrior. So Saul's a warrior, David's a warrior. Both of their lives were impacted or touched by the life of Samuel, the prophet. Would you agree with that there? That David's life obviously was touched by uh, Samuel, but Saul's life. Saul grew up about just about five miles from Samuel, but he didn't even know about uh, the prophet Samuel. Remember when he was unsuccessful in finding his father's donkeys and and uh, so he, they wanted to go to see the prophet and, and Saul, even though he lived real close to him, he didn't even know who Samuel was. Well, that shows you something about Saul's spiritual life that growing up there in that land of Israel that he didn't even know about Samuel. And so obviously Sam, sorry, Saul was, um, well, he was tall. You can say that about Saul. He was tall. But his uh, outward impressions should not really be what you gauge a man by. It ought to be his heart. And so Saul um, was physically impressive, but spiritually not so. Well, well, that was really a, a picture of Israel because they were physically impressive, but spiritually they were in a poor spiritual state. And so God allowed them to get what they wanted at a time when they were not delighting in him, which as we've said along the way, one of the worst things that could happen to you, I'll never forget that sermon Brother Sam preached when I was at youth camp and actually as a youth counselor, by the way, God doesn't just work in the lives of young people at youth camp. He works in the lives of the workers too. But I remember Brother Sam preaching that. He preached it here first, then he went and preached it at Sagmont, that the worst thing that could happen to you is for you to get what you want at a time when you're not delighting in God. And that's what happened in, in, in the life of Israel is that they were not delighted in God, but they said, we want a king that we can be like all the other nations. And so God let them have Saul, but Saul was really more a reflection of who they were as a people and they were not spiritual. And so Saul was not spiritual. So really we shouldn't be too surprised about the ending of this. Although I would hasten to say this, it did not have to end that way. It did not. And so it doesn't matter even what your past is and, and, and what, uh, how things have gone for you. Listen, if, you'll, if you will genuinely turn to God and be honest with God and be repentant, then God can restore your life. Okay, that's what we really, I think, are supposed to get out of this. So both of them were impacted by Samuel. Samuel really legitimately tried to help Saul. By the way, God didn't set Saul up for failure. If you remember, I mean, way back, we're going a couple of years back to remember this, but in terms of our series, uh, Saul, God, God gave him uh, messages, you know, as he met the prophets and he met individuals. It was basically God saying, Saul, listen, I'll help you if you'll let me. Well, I can say to you tonight, God will help you if you'll let him. And so he wants to help us. He wants to help you. Uh, both men were, were, uh, were leading what would be loyal people. I mean, Jonathan was loyal to his father, even though there's times that he couldn't understand what was going on. And, and, uh, and so David led loyal people. But both, here's another similarity, both made poor decisions. Saul made poor decisions. Can I get an Amen. Right there, Saul made poor decisions. And isn't it true, church, that David made poor decisions? Our hero, a man of the faith, one that, you know, was fighting Goliath. I mean, God used him in a great way, but we've seen the humanity of David, the sinfulness of David. And so he made poor choices that cost people's lives, that had great consequence. Saul made poor choices, David made poor choices, but here when you boil it down, here's the difference. 
David got right with God. Saul never did. That's it. David got right with God. Saul never did. And thus, David did not have a tragic ending. Saul had a tragic ending. This past week at camp, I, I uh, enjoyed preaching about the life of Samson. Samson at night and then preached also in the days of Judges about Ruth in the morning. We had a fantastic time. I didn't, I didn't realize or know what the theme was till I got there, but here was their theme. See if it fit the life of Samson. Uh, chaos to clarity. Well, really, Samson's life was more of this, from clarity to chaos. But you think about the life of Ruth, and she went from chaos, a Moabitish woman, idolater, living in a very um, sensual society, the Moabites. I mean, that's how they started out. They, she went from chaos to clarity. Amen. It was fun to preach that. I don't mean to be flippant about it, but it was, can you have fun preaching? Sure you should. And it was wonderful and it was awesome to see some young people get it. But Samson, Samson wasted his potential because he lived for his pleasure rather than his purpose. Saul wasted his potential. He lived for his pleasure, what he wanted rather than what God wanted. Well, the reason I'm emphasizing that for us here tonight is that you and I too could waste our potential. You can waste your potential if you, if you live uh, for yourself rather than for God. Your life doesn't have to end so tragically. I'm not saying tonight, please don't think I'm being overdramatic to say, well, are you saying that I'm gonna end my life in suicide or I'm gonna end my life in, in, in such calamity as this? No, but listen, if you don't live for God, that is a calamity. That is a tragedy. To be so blessed by God and live for selfish purposes, that is a waste of your potential. And so we're going to revisit this and look at this here and see basically what happened. I mean, what, and, and also I, I do want to deal with Israel because this study here is not just so that we can look at the life of Saul and learn from him, although we should, but the bigger picture is this. Israel, if you remember, it's coming out of the days of the judges where every man did that, which was right in his own eyes. And, and there's really a question, okay, how is this, the faith even going to survive? And God used the home of Ruth and Boaz uh, to, bring in Jesse, or to bring in Obed and bring in Jesse and to bring in David so the faith would survive. And, and so listen, you never know how God could use you and your family. And so we need to understand how this was affecting the, the nation as well. How could they go from such great celebration at the coronation of King Saul to such a ghastly scene at Mount Gilboa? We want to think about that here tonight. Okay, first of all, just a little bit of a review. What to do when your plans go up in smoke. If you remember that about David, David, as I mentioned, now I, I need to deal with this because it sets it up for our chapter here tonight. David had made some wrong choices. And he said this, there's nothing better for me than just to go down to the land of the Philistines. And by doing so, I think we all agree tonight, and it's very clear in God's word, he was out of God's will. And being out of God's will, he nearly, he was in a really tough spot because he was standing shoulder to shoulder with the Philistines. But I mean, that was problematic. And, and really God intervened there and got him out of that. But also what was going on down in, in uh, Ziklag that was owned by David, that he got from a Philistine general um, that, that was given to him that city, it was being ravished by the Amalekites. 
And they came in and took the wives and took the children and then burned the city with fire. And then David's men were so upset with David that they were ready to stone him, if you remember that uh, from our study as well. And, and David, listen, David had nobody else to turn to. He couldn't turn to Saul, couldn't turn to Jonathan, couldn't turn to his men. They were ready to stone him. They, he had nobody else to turn to. But the Bible says this, and I left out a very important part. Some of you caught it the last time, the last Sunday night when we preached this. David encouraged himself in the Lord. I left out two words, his God. I didn't mean to do that. I just was in a preaching fury and did so. All right. David encouraged himself in the Lord, his God. See, the only way you can really find your strength in the Lord is if he is your God. It's got to be a personal relationship. David couldn't say, my house, it was burned down. He couldn't even right now say my wife because he didn't know if they were alive or not. He couldn't say his kids, but he could say this, my God. He could say that. And so listen tonight, I don't know what decisions you've made and where they have led you and, and what your state of mind is or what your situation is. But I, I can tell you this, he's a personal God that wants to help you. And David went on to be greatly used of God in fact, it's only going to be a few uh, months, and, but, but that he becomes the king of Israel. But the reason he went from such ashes, literally, as everything's going up in smoke, to being in the palace is because he repented. And he found his strength in the Lord. And he put his life back into God's hands. This is so important because when you blow it, anybody here ever blown it? When you blow it and you know it, then you got to get back to God and put your life back in his hands and then he can restore what you've lost. And God gave him guidance and God helped him to restore all of his family and all their wives and all the men's wives and families. Hey, what a glorious hallelujah right there. God worked providentially in his life. But the, the basis of that was this, he was repentant. And he found his strength, the Lord, and he put his life back into God's hands. Now there's a major lesson right there. All right. Now what happens in the text, as we've read, is that the scene shifts back to Saul. Now I want to mention this. If you remember, um, about the time that David was finding his strength in the Lord, his God again, Saul was in indoor the way the chronology of this plays out, it's almost ironic. I mean, what, what a contrast. David seeking God. David, can I say it maybe this way? David looking up to God for help. Saul looking down to the dead and trying to get Samuel to come back up. What a contrast. At the exact same time, one seeking God, one not really seeking God because he wasn't hearing from God. Saul. So now they're on Mount Gilboa. That brings us to our text. And, and, and so it's obvious here that, that the Israelites were no match for the Philistines, no match at all. And they were running and running for their lives. And many of them died on Mount Gilboa. And in fact, three of Saul's sons died. Others paid a price for, for Saul's um, waywardness. 
saw himself as struck with an arrow either from behind or, or in the front. I, I don't believe that we're told here in this text. I know for sure not here, but anywhere else. And, and so Saul doesn't want to be abused by the Philistines. So he asked his armor bearer to thrust him through with a sword. And, and so when the armor bearer was not willing to do so, then, then Saul took a sword and fell upon it himself, committing suicide. I want to pause right here to say this. Suicide is never the answer. It's not the answer. Can, can I say to you, even as bad as things were right here for Saul, had Saul turned to God, God could have helped him. Now, he may have bled out. He may have died. But listen, suicide is not the answer. I, I'm just throwing that out here tonight. You say, Brother Gattis, why would you mention that? Because people struggle with that. There'd be people here that struggle with that. Depression, uh, uh, Christians are not immune for depression and, and, and dealing with despondency and discouragement and disappointment and hopelessness and despair and thinking it's never gonna change. There's nothing better for me than just to take my own life. Listen, stop, God loves you. And God's got a plan for you and God can help you. And don't, don't leave your family and don't leave your church family and don't leave your friends with a bunch of questions. I hope I'm preaching that to, to, to folks here tonight that would take heed to it. And, and if there is anyone, and if, if there's not, then, then that's fine. But I, I just, I felt impressed because the text deals with it to say, listen, don't take that step. Your life is in God's hands. Don't take it into your own hands. And so Saul committed suicide and others fled and uh, even his armor bearer fell upon his sword and, and died and then others fled and, and in fact, people were displaced from their homes because of a man that wouldn't get back in God's will. You know, I think tonight there's a lot of people that are out of church because somebody didn't get back in God's will. A lot of people that have been hurt maybe by, by someone that wouldn't get right with God. And, and maybe it's a pastor even that, that caused such damage in a church. And now there's people that are out of, out of church because of that. Well, here were people out of their homes and out of their villages and out of their towns rather. And, and so uh, all because Saul wouldn't repent. You know how important burial was to the Jews? Well, very important, obviously. And yet, look how tragic this situation is. Saul lay all night out there on the battlefield with nobody to tend to him. Jonathan lay all night and the other sons and the other soldiers, they lay all night. It was not until the morrow that the Philistines came and found them. I realize tonight, listen, this is heavy th stuff. This is heavy thoughts. These are, uh, this is a heavy text, but I think it's here because we need to take heed. And then when the Philistines came upon him, then, then uh, they abused him even after he was dead. I mean, no wonder Saul was concerned about what they would do to him. And they decapitated him and they stripped him of his armor. And, and so there, his armor they put, didn't it say, in the house of Ashtoreth. And, and uh, his head even traveled around with it. I mean, how gruesome. They traveled around to the Philistine cities. And in fact, 1 Chronicles 10 tells us that they fastened his head in the temple of Dagon. And they hung his body at Bethshan. We had the privilege to go to Bethshan and Bethshion as, as it is pronounced uh, now, but he, they hung their bodies there as a disgrace. And, and, and it made it appear that, that the Philistine God had won a victory. 
In fact, I like what one man said that, yes, Israel is crushed, but this is sad. And the, the context of Saul and his death is sad, but there's a deeper sadness in this. There's the deeper sadness that God is mocked. That the Lord is mocked. Worse than Israel's defeat is the Lord's disgrace. His body hung there and the bodies of his sons hung there in disgrace until the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead, whom Saul helped his first um, battle. If you remember this way back in chapter number 11 was uh, the men of Jabesh Gilead were being attacked and Saul came to their aid and, and did exactly what a king ought to do. And God actually helped Saul right there. And, and so they very valiantly traveled up to 15 to 20 miles through the darkness of the night and, and in a brave act came and rescued the bodies, the decapitated bodies of, of these men. And, and they were so mutilated and I don't know all the details as to why, but they burned their bodies, but preserving their bones because that was very important, at least that amount to be able to bury them, give them a proper burial. And so they did that. This is tragic. But I have to say, not surprising. Tragic. Yes. Surprising. Well, no. God said what was going to happen. God through Samuel told Saul what was going to happen. God told Saul why this was going to happen. But when you boil it down, it basically comes down to what we've already covered, and that's this. Saul wasn't repentant. Saul, King Saul's life ended tragically because of this. Without repentance, please notice this, without repentance, his sinful choices took him further and further and further and further out of God's will until it comes to this end. How did Samson get to a place where they had gouged his eyes out and he stood between those pillars and he's led out there by a child and they mocked and they ridiculed and they praised, they praised their God Dagon. The Philistines praised their God. Jehovah was supposed to receive praise. But here's Dagon being praised. And here's Samson being led out. And, and maybe they mocked and ridiculed him. Well, I know they did, but maybe they did it this way. Hey, Samson, you got a riddle for us now? Look at this mighty man of Israel being led out by a child. Look at him grinding there and going in circles. Look at him. He can't see us. And the man who had a problem with his eyes, looking at woman after woman and, and womanizing uh, uh, throughout his calling even and, and just neglecting and not repenting. No wonder he stood there between those pillars and God, yes, enabled him to, to cast those pillars down and kill more Philistines in his death. But what a tragic ending to a man who had such potential. Tonight, listen, you need to consider how will your life end if you don't repent? If you don't get right with God. Now, I, I don't know here tonight who maybe is struggling in some secret sin. I don't know who tonight is who has made some wrong choices and maybe you've had a semblance of repentance. That's what Saul had. He had a semblance of repentance, but he didn't really truly repent. You can see that from the actions of his life. But I just wonder tonight if maybe God is not just stopping somebody in their tracks right here to say, listen, you really need to get right with God. You really need to abandon and get rid of that sin that's in your life because if you don't, listen, it'll be your 
your end and you need to make a decisive decision here even tonight and not put it off another day or wait till things get a little bit better or wait till circumstances change or, or any other things that you might be waiting on. Hey, tonight would be the night that you need to get right with God. Saul's life ended tragically because without repentance, his poor choices just led him deeper and deeper and deeper in sin. And so were yours. Sin, oh, listen tonight, sin won't. Are you listening, young people? Are you listening, adults here tonight? Sin won't go soft on you. Saul's life ended tragically. What does that look like today? Well, it looks like somebody out of church. Looks like somebody out of church. By the way, Saul didn't get there all at one time. You know, in fact, I thought about it this way. You know, what if we work backwards in the text? And I'm not going to take us through all, the, all of it, but, you know, here, here we are, you know, thinking about where, where it was, where it ended up. And, and here is Saul falling on his own sword. But what if, if we could push rewind and go back and see what, what was the cause of this? Well, you could go back to chapter 28 and see he's at Endor with the witch. And you can hear God, even he gave the answer there, and I'm going to reserve that for just a moment. You could go back to chapters 20 to 20, 26, where he's chasing David down rather than fighting Philistines. Oh, mercy, I hadn't thought about that. Hang on, it, it could be that, had, oh, mercy, this is really good. If, in fact, come to think about it, if he had been doing what he should have been doing all along, he'd been killing Philistines and maybe they wouldn't have killed him. But he was chasing his own agenda. He was pursuing his own agenda. He was trying to take David out when he's supposed to be taking Philistines out. And as a result, oh my soul, this is actually pretty good right here. Now, is this making sense, Brother Daniel, or is this not Bible? Okay, he's thinking his Bible. But, but hey, listen, if he'd been doing what he should have been doing all along, that would have been his end. Hey, you know what? Really, this is not complicated. We know what is right. We know what is wrong. And, and along the way, maybe you have to learn some things. But I think deep down, especially you've been in church any length of time, you know what's right. You know what's wrong. And yet sometimes we don't do what we know is right. We don't get rid of what we ought to get rid of and we don't get in what we ought to get in and it should be no wonder then to us that we get disappointed, we get discouraged, we get disillusioned and thus as a result sometimes people get out of church. There are people that are not in church tonight that it's exactly their story and don't think it couldn't be your story too. Is this making sense? No need to start over? You got it? I'm just trying to think, how did he get there? Well, he didn't, he didn't do what he was supposed to do and he was doing something he wasn't supposed to be doing, chasing David down, trying to take him out. And, but you go back further than that and you see that he wasn't on the battlefield when he ought to be been. He was hiding in his tent, chapter 17. Um, well, let me back up a little bit here in chapter 18, 19, right in there, he's throwing javelins at somebody that shouldn't have been his enemy. Maybe you're treating somebody in your life that is not your enemy like they are your enemy. They're trying to be a help to you and yet you're throwing javelins. I'm not trying to accuse you of anything, but if it, if it fits tonight, why don't you go ahead and just take it and say, man, you know, that's right. How, how, about, how, about, how about you just deal with that here rather than continuing on in, in, in a lack of repentance and, and sinful thoughts, words, and actions that get you further and further and deeper and deeper in despondency and, 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 uh, and wickedness and wrongdoing. Before you get here, how about, how about right here, God is saying, wait a minute, stop where you're headed right there. Stop, stop, stop right there. 
It may be something that you're doing you shouldn't be doing, or, or you're maybe kind of just kind of slacking off on your Bible reading. You're slacking off on your prayer time or slacking off even on church attendance. And you think, well, it's not that big of a deal if I miss Wednesday night or, or Sunday night every now and then. Oh, listen, friend, it's your spiritual life that's at concern here. And in the, the playlist that you're listening to and the social media that you've got flooding into your life, I'm telling you, America's addicted to it. It's astounding to me just the, 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 um, the, all the videos that they're, that they're watching and, and continuing on. Hey, you may be really faithful to your social media, but I wonder how, how faithful you are to your communion with God. I wonder how faithful you are to that. I, I mean, you may, be, you may be real quick to make sure you, that you take your picture for be, be real, but I, I wonder if you're, if you're really in the Word. You say, preacher, preach that stuff at a youth camp. No, listen, we need that at adult camp. And children camp. Huh? No, no, no. We don't need just confrontational preaching when it comes to young people. We need to be confronted with this stuff because this was an adult male that was out of God's will and he was leading a country and he was leading a family and he was terrorizing his own group. Hey, I wonder how you're doing here tonight. God was confronting him there. And, and then you go back to chapter 17. And, but here is really chapter number 15 when he knew he was supposed to take out of all the Malachites and he did not do it. He spared the best. Remember that? Agag and all the best. And God said in chapter 28, the reason that you've lost the kingdom is because of what happened in chapter number 15. You go back to chapter number 13 and he acted like he was a priest and he shouldn't have done that. But listen, I'm just simply saying if, if Saul here before he fell on his sword, if he'd gone back here to say, Samuel, well, you're right. I was way out of line. I should have did what God said. Would you forgive me? Actually, I need to ask God to forgive me first. And I want to get right. But instead of doing that, he said this, Samuel, please don't leave and make me look bad in front of everybody. That's what he said. Back in chapter 15, I don't want to look bad in front of everybody. Please don't bring me before Israel. Don't, but we could say this, please don't bring me before the church. Please don't, please don't expose this. Just make it look like I'm doing right, even though I'm not really doing right. Listen, friend, that is not repentance. And that's why Saul, he never got right. And so because he never got right, he died out of God's will. And that is the concluding chapter of a man that's out of God's will. I don't want that in my life or your life or anybody's life that is known by God. God loves you way too much to let your in life end like that. Or for you to go another day, not just your life ending like that. How about right now? There's another side to this I'd like to deal with before we call it a night. Because I think it also is applicable to where we are. Way back here, Israel said, I've already covered it, so I'm not going to take great time on re-explaining it. We'll take time on applying it. Because way back here, Israel said this, we want a king like all the other nations have a king. There are problems. There are problems in the IPF. The Independent Priesthood Fellowship. Fundamental, no, IFP, hang on, let me get this right. I, what, what are we, independent fundamental Baptists? I was trying to be, 
Help me out, Brother Andrew. There's problems, we would say, you know, and people are saying today, you know, there's problems in the IFB. There's problems in the Independent Fundamental Baptist. Well, back then they were saying basically the same thing. There are problems in the IFP. There it is. I knew, I knew you'd help me out. Thank you. There's problems in the Independent Fundamental Priesthoods. Well, sure there was. That was problematic. What was going on in the IFP was wrong and Samuel knew it was wrong and he didn't try to sugarcoat that. Well, sure, there's things that are going wrong in, in uh, independent fundamental Baptists and, and people that have been abused, people that have been neglected, uh, things that have been said that should never have been said, a spirit that should have never been the spirit of a preacher. I mean, that's not right. And, and, and uh, there's, there's fakes and phonies and there's people that thump the King James Bible and yet never read it. There's people that are King James and, and yet they, they, they say, you know, uh, it's only King James and that's right and they should. And yet at the same time, they're looking at pornography. That's not right. There are problems in the IFB, no doubt about that. But listen, don't let the problems that are there cause you to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Here's what we ought to do. Let's just get right with God then. We don't sweep problems under a rug. That's not how we operate here at this church. We don't want to do that. We want to deal with things as they are. But listen, don't let the problems that are going on cause you to say, well, I'm going to go over here to the evangelical side or at least the more liberal side or more progressive side and become a neo-fundamentalist. You got that? What was going on? But here's what they were saying way back here. Well, because of this, if we get a king like everybody else has, we'll make progress. If we get a song, okay, here's what's being said in, in churches across the land today. If we get a song service like they have, if we get a rock band like they have, if we cut us out a little hole here and put a drum set in it, then we'll have success like they'll have success. If we'll get a hip pastor and get rid of this pulpit, it's way too big. If we get a hip pastor that's got hair and stuff and that knows how to dress and is a little bit, uh, you know, just a little bit more swanky, that's what we need is a swanky. <laughs> We need a swanky pastor and, and we need somebody, you know, that's just kind of cool and hip and just kind of loosen up a little bit. If we get ourselves a contemporary preacher, a more modern preacher that doesn't preach so long too while we're thinking about it, we'd already be at the restaurant by now if we had us one of them modern preachers. In fact, we could have went there way earlier because we wouldn't even have had a Sunday night service. We wouldn't even have a Sunday night service. You could be watching as much football as you want to in the fall and doing whatever you're doing and having family time while you're on your screen, never looking at one another. Man, if we just get, our, get ourselves a progressive thinking preacher that could do some progressive thinking music and, and get a progressive looking church and, and get rid of these pews and get rid of this, and get rid of that and just kind of change everything, we'll be progressing and making progress. I'll tell you what's sad, and it could happen here as easily as, it, as easily as it has happened in other churches like this church. Because I, I tell you, and Brother Smith knows this better than I am. That's why he just said amen right here, because he knows of churches, and many of you do as well, that at one time, say in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, somewhere right in there, they were running buses, leading souls of Christ, preaching Bible messages, and, and being straight about holiness and separation from the world so that they can then reach the world. But over time, they began to slack off. And as a result of it now, buses are not running. Buses are not running. They're sitting out in the parking lot where weeds are growing up around them on flat tires. 
And great, great uh, auditoriums like this auditorium, where on a Sunday night, usually it was like packed out. But now there's like 40 or 50 there if they have a Sunday night service. I vote that we just stay with God and His holiness and not let the world set our trends because this too can begin to dwindle. You say, no, that's not how it happens. Yes, it is how it happens because then an evangelical group comes along and they buy that church building or an Islamic group buys it. That's what happened in Detroit. Now an Islamic group has, has occupied the building that was once, once the, the great Temple Baptist Church. Dagon is being praised. Souls are not being saved. People are being reached. Lives are being changed. Families are being helped. All because the church got kind of enamored with the progressive movement and the CCM movement and all those other things that kind of come with it and changing Bibles and changing music, changing all this and wanting to be more like them. And they lost it. You just, uh, you check it out on your own time. But you look, you run the course of Bible colleges that begin to go left and become more progressive. And now their dorm rooms are empty. Their classrooms are empty. And, 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 uh, and their, their properties are decaying. And it's here, here's why it is. Because Ichabod is written there. They've got away from God and His holiness. And they want to be like all the other trendy colleges. Brother David shared a, a, a picture with us uh, in our staff teams, uh, and, he, and he showed a sports analysis, a sports analyst, rather, many of whom, you know, that you would know, like Joe Buck and different ones, and they're making comments on baseball, football, basketball, and kind of had about 10 or 12 of them represented there. Sharp suits, looking, looking nice. Commentating on something that is temporal. That doesn't really matter in the big scheme of things. And yet they're in, a, they're in a suit and tie and they look sharp. And below that, he had a picture of modern church leaders and I could name a few of them. Some of them I didn't really recognize. T-shirts, jeans just frayed. And I know, given what he makes, he could buy better jeans than that. What an indictment that sports analysts are dressing up for something temporal and modern preachers are dressing down for something eternal. We're losing. When you go that direction, you may think you're winning. You may think, oh, because, oh, look how many people are coming now. But you're losing something. And that same thing, oh, hey, that same, that same a truth that, that just, bec uh, just because you call it progress doesn't mean it is. In fact, you can't call it progress when it ends like that. America, land that I love, is in a state of trying to get progress without God. Kicking God out of school. No prayer in school. Uh, a superintendent up in... Up in um, up in Tulsa on the board, uh, one of the board members of the Tulsa Public Board System for about an 18 second prayer. There wasn't really even that she was praying. She was just saying, I just pray that God blesses you and that, that the Lord Jesus Christ would use you or some of those words like that. She's now under great fire because of that. You know what we want? We want progress. We want to be without God all while. Look at the state of our public school systems. Look at the violence. Look at the chaos. Look at the confusion. We're going from clarity to chaos and it's killing us. Right. 
young women with perfectly good bodies that are mutilating those bodies so they can transition to being a boy. Nothing wrong with those organs. Nothing wrong with those body parts. And yet they're being removed, mutilated in the name of progress. But you can't call it progress if it ends in such tragedy. And I listened just recently to the testimony of a dear young, a dear lady that, that did that exact thing. And, and she said, even after I did so, I didn't really get what I wanted. I was still living a lie because I knew my name was Laura and it wasn't Jake. And God dealt with me that when you stand before me, Laura, and eventually, thank God, she got saved because she had a godly mom and others that prayed for her and she got saved. And, and so she was still struggling though with all those, those attractions and so forth. But, but she came to this realization that when she stood before God, would he refer to her as Jake or as Laura? But I'm just saying that because right now with all this transitioning idea and this thought, our country's saying, oh, we're making real progress. And yet look at the suicide rate among those that are either in homosexuality or in transgenderism. Look at the result. I know I'm preaching to you and you, you stand right where I'm standing on that. I get that. But listen, we're in a real epidemic in our society because every man is doing that which is right in his own eyes and it's costing us dearly. And if Oklahoma wants to be like Colorado or California and have marijuana, then we'll have just as many homeless, if not more, right here. And we'll get kind of used to people just laying on the street like they were an animal. That's not how it's supposed to be. That's not how it's supposed to be. I mean, why do you want somebody just laying there all night long under the interstate? We better get back even in Oklahoma. And I thank God that God helped us to vote that down. But, but listen, don't think it's not going to come around again, dear friend. Some family says, I, hey, we want to be like other families. We want to have a bigger home. We want to drive a better car. And, and listen, don't, don't misunderstand me. That's not necessarily wrong. It's good. I think we're to be good stewards of our resources that God blesses us with. But if you make that your goal so that you can look as good as other people around you or better, probably the idea is I want a better home. And you pursue that so much that you start neglecting church so you can work more hours. You may call it progress, but what happens when you lose your kids to the world? Yeah, they'll excel in, in baseball or softball or basketball or football, but how are they doing spiritually? And I realize that, that people that have made a, a valiant effort to try to raise their kids in church, maybe they get out of church and that's their own choices. I totally understand that. But here's what I'm trying to preach tonight. The same principle that Israel dealt with is that they made the wrong goal their goal and look at the results of it. And so don't call it progress if they're laying on Mount Gilboa. And evidently the range of Mount Gilboa goes beyond just the land of Israel and it comes over here in America as well. And there's a lot of Mount Gilboas around where people have given their life and lost their life. And lost what they could have had in serving the Lord, they've lost because they made selfish pursuits their goal. So what's, what's the solution? God calls you to Repentance. God calls me to repentance because without repentance, rethinking, renewing our minds with the word of God, 
And we continue to make wrong choices. It gets us further and further and further away from God until we're like Samson, we're like Saul, or you want to name anybody else? There's plenty to mention. But beloved, here's the good side of this, and I'll end on a good, strong note. That if you'll say, God, I've been wrong, would you forgive me? I don't know how this is going to work out, but I want to trust you. I'll put my life back in your hands. In just a few months, the man that prayed that prayer, or something like it, was the king of Israel. And God just blessed in a major way. And even more important than us enjoying his blessings, watch this. Psalms were written that brought praise to God. And the tabernacle was filled with praise. And then eventually a temple's going to be built. And God's going to move into that place so much so that the priest can't even get in because there's such the glory of God that's there. Kind of like what Brother, Brother Chris read this morning in our men's prayer meeting. As he read about Hezekiah who had an ungodly dad. Ungodly dad. But just because you have a bad family doesn't mean you ought to raise one. And so King Hezekiah got things right with God, got back in the Word of God, got things back where they ought to be. And listen to what, listen to what Brother Chris read. I'm not going to read the verse for you, but it basically says this, that he sought the Lord and watch this, and he and Israel prospered. They made progress because they made God their goal and serving Him their goal. And God gave progress. God gave true prosperity. So think about where you are tonight. You're going to live out your life either as a David who's getting things right with God or as a Saul. I'm encouraging you right here. Live as a David. Let's stand together tonight. Thank you for your kind attention. A sobering chapter. A tragic chapter. That didn't have to end that way. In fact, I brought to my notes tonight the prayer request from a man named Jared. I won't mention his last name, but he's at the Lexington prison facility. And he asked the men of this church to pray for him that his family would reconnect with him and that God would bring him back into a right relationship with him, that he wouldn't let bitterness and coldness spiritually affect the rest of his life. Here's a man that is, it seems like to me, he's repentant before God. It doesn't have to end like it ended with Saul. I don't know what this man's outcome will be, but I believe he's in a much better place spiritually, even though he's incarcerated. And here we are with our freedom and ability to do something about it. May God help us to do it. Amen. Father, thank you tonight. Help us, Lord, <clears throat> when you speak to us to be responsive. Thank you for loving us enough to chasten, correct, restore. And it does boil down to us being willing to repent and turn to you. Now, please help us, dear Lord in this invitation. Help us not to go through the motion, but help us, dear Lord, to respond. In Jesus' name, amen. As we begin to sing page 272, come on the very first verse. Come every soul by sin oppressed, there's mercy with the Lord, and he will surely give you rest by 
trusting in his word only trust him only trust him only trust him now he will save you he will save you he will save you now for jesus shed his precious blood rich blessings to Plunge now into the crimson flood that washes white as snow. Only trust Him, only trust Him, only trust Him now. He will save you, He will save you. Let's just keep singing tonight. If God's speaking to you, don't, don't ignore it. Yes, Take earnest heed. is the truth, the way that leads you into rest. Believe in him without delay, and you are fully blessed. Only trust him, only trust him, only trust him now. He will save you, he will save you. then and join this holy band and on to glory go to dwell in that celestial land where joys immortal flow only trust him only trust him only trust him Let's just keep singing here tonight, would you please? Somebody who may still be praying, somebody still being dealt with, would you come? Every soul by sin oppressed, there's mercy with the Lord, and He will surely give you rest by trusting in His Word. Only trust Him, only trust Him, only trust Him now. He will save you, He will save you, He will save you One more verse tonight, now. one more verse. <clears throat> For Jesus shed His precious blood, rich blessing to bestow. Plunge now into the crimson flood that washes white as snow. Only trust Him, only trust Him, only trust Him now. He will save you, He will save you, He will save you now. Let you be seated there quietly, reverently. Let's keep the piano playing and be dismissed here in just a few moments.